0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coffee and Deer podcast. I'm your host, Nick Penazzotto, joined by the doctor, Mr. Mike Groman. And today we're going to talk to award-winning journalist Megan Pleet Postal. Her article, Hunters of Color Collabs to Produce Deer Hunt for New Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, won first place in the Excellent and Craft Award from the Outdoor Writers Association of America. And she's also an ambassador for Artemis Sportswomen and has a really cool, unique background and career path. And uh, she's going to share some good stories with us today. So looking forward to talking with Megan. Our show sponsor today is Black Rifle Coffee Company. Now, Black Rifle Coffee Company is a new supporter of NDA this year. If you listen to other outdoor podcasts, you've probably heard of Black Rifle Coffee Company before because they support uh, others as well. Uh, if you haven't heard of them, though, Black Rifle Coffee Company, uh, their mission is to serve coffee and culture to people who love America. So pretty neat mission there. Uh, it was founded in 2014 by former U.S. Army Green Beret Evan Hafer and was built upon the mission to serve coffee and culture to people who love America. So be sure to check out Black Rifle Coffee at BlackRifleCoffee.com. Mike, we did get some Ask NDA Anything questions. and uh, they're very, they're, they're a little different and unique. So I'm looking forward to, to getting into these. So I don't have to do any shaming again. Okay, good. We're ready to go. All right. First one is, this is very simple. It's not terribly related to, to deer and deer hunting, but it's, it's a good one. It says, does NDA offer internships? This is from Eric in Wisconsin, by the way, Eric, that is a very good practical question to ask NDA anything. And so I appreciate that because there may be others that listen to the show. I know I get a lot of questions about, hey, I have an interest in working in that field or, hey, how do you get an opportunity at NDA, that type of thing. And so uh, since I've never caught on and addressed it myself, Eric has asked the question. So thank you, Eric. And so your timing is really good here. Because we were just talking about internships in our last management team meeting and the answer is yes, we do offer internships. Uh, We don't have paid ones currently so I apologize for that, however, uh, we have had many interns. That went on to do great and wonderful things and some of them still work for our organization today so it's an outstanding experience and the nice thing with us being remote is it may not pay but you don't have to leave your house either. And there's a lot of things you can do on your own time to help us that would also qualify for an internship. And we're always looking for help. So if you have an interest in being part of the NDA and you think you have something to offer, we do have competitive internships and we'll be announcing those here very soon. So please pay attention. But also, if you're hearing this, feel free to just email me directly. Nick at DeerAssociation.com and I'll see to it that it gets to the proper individuals. Have you ever done an internship, Mike?
1: We had to do clinical rotations, which are a version of internships. They are not paid. And they for us, they had to vary with different types of physical therapy practice settings as a requirement for graduation. So yes, I had to do internships, at least for a lot of the medical field. They're called like, like clinical rotations or rotations or clinical placements, things like that.
0: There, so there you have it, uh, your version of an internship. I, I had did, done a couple. It was paid, but it wasn't paid nearly enough to the, for the torture they put us through. <laughs> so, um, But that was a long, long time ago, and internships were, I think, a little bit different at those times. But anyway, yes, we do offer them, and if you're interested, let us know. All right, here's a good one, and perfect name. This guy's name is Hunter, and he is from Kansas. And by the way, when I read this, I'm kind of envious of Hunter. He's like, he says, I'm a relatively new hunter, in parentheses, two years. He's been hunting for two years. And I hunt my wife's family farm, which is pretty open, but has a few wooded areas uh, or fence lines that are obvious places for stands. But I feel like I'm missing out on other areas and often see deer out of range. How do you feel about ground setups for archery And do you have any suggestions? So first of all, congratulations to you, Hunter, for finding a wife who has land in Kansas. I mean, (laughs) uh, maybe Hunter could offer internships on how to accomplish the same for others listening here. So uh, that was my first thought, Mike, when I read this coming in from Hunter.
1: Well, um, I think I'm going to leave that one be. I'm not going to go there, but you, you go ahead and run with it. All right. All right, so
0: Hunter, here's the answer to your question. And yeah, a lot of Kansas is just what you described. I mean, There are areas and corridors with trees and so on, and they are the obvious places to put stands. But if you've ever watched you know, hunting television, there's a lot that they film in Kansas, and for good reason. And oftentimes you'll see deer wandering just out of range. And I always ask myself, why don't they get on the ground, take advantage of some ground cover? So I would say, uh, I'll give my answer, and then we'll hear from the doctor here. Um, definitely hunt from the ground. I think so many times as hunters and, I, and, and you as a new hunter, by the way, this is get into this habit right now and then maybe you won't be like the rest of us that have been in stands for so long, it's hard to break it. But uh, hunt from the ground, get yourself where you think you need to be there. Are, uh, you can make your own blind out of natural material. That's really what I prefer more than anything. You don't have to carry anything in, into the woods or you can just duck behind vegetation and just be natural. Uh, But the other thing is there are some other great tools out there. You could put a physical, visible ground blind. I personally haven't had a ton of success with that on deer. Deer, if you're going to do a ground blind, like a traditional fabric type ground blind, you're going to want to get that out there early and get it brushed in and get the deer used to it. It's very difficult to just pop up a blind and then have deer not react to it negatively in some way. I'd also encourage you to check out an item called the ghost blind. And I have one and have had one for several years and I've been amazed at the response I've gotten with that. Uh, it's basically as a mirrored finish on the front of it and reflects the vegetation you're setting in uh, back out. And I've had deer literally, I've posted this on my YouTube channel, I believe, literally walk by within range where I could reach out and grab them. Which, you know, that's not going to happen all the time, but that's worked really well for me. They're kind of lightweight and easy to move around and mobile. And I've actually challenged myself last year to start hunting from the ground more just because I don't want to have to be relying on hunting, hunting trees more than I'm hunting deer. What do you think there, doctor?
1: I can't add too much to that because I agree. Hunting off the ground in his situation, I think will provide him more opportunities than just staying in a tree stand. And what I like about hunting off the ground is you can react to what's going on in real time. If you see a, a doe come through that's being trailed by a hot, or like a hot doe comes through that's being trailed by a buck, you can very quickly get up, move within the downwind side of that trail that they came through on and be ready for any other potential suitors. Uh, hunting off the ground, I always have a pair of um, snippers with me and uh, maybe even like a foldable saw because that will help you make that natural ground blind. It'll help you cut a couple quick shooting lanes as you need to. Uh, I know a lot of people like ghillie suits. I've, I've made myself a ghillie suit to um, better break up my outline uh, when I'm hunting on the ground, but um, I, I can't add much more than that. But I like that idea, and I think that that's going to be his best option.
0: Well, I think what you did add was a really good one and something I'd forgotten about. Have yourself a pair of pruners or a little saw with you. I mean, that's critical. And uh, Ron Haas, friend of the show, he he has a pack he carries. I think it's like a Swiss Army pack. It's got everything in it. And I think he has like seven different versions of snippers and all these, you know, if I'm missing something. Hey, Ron, you got a AA battery? Oh, yep, got that. Hey, Ron, you got an extra GPS unit? Yep, got that. (laughs) Extra clippers? Uh, yeah. Be like Ron and have all that stuff with you because it does come in handy. So let's go ahead and award the hat for the question. I'm going to give it to Eric in Wisconsin because if Hunter already has land in Kansas to hunt for free, he doesn't need a hat. Uh, so <laughs> uh, sorry, Hunter. That's you know we we get to decide the rules on who gets the hats here, and jealousy is is uh, allowable here. So no, uh, Eric. Well, I'm going to a- be
1: I'm going to be super kind and say. Not only does Hunter have a nice place to potentially hunt, but he probably has a very lovely and generous and caring wife as well. So he he has a double win there: the property and a wonderful wife.
0: Okay, well there you have it, and that's always yes, yeah, always wise to point that out. Uh, but Eric, the, uh, the reason I'm also giving Eric the hat is because that is a question, something that we should have mentioned here previously on the show, and I didn't do that, and so Eric brought that to our attention, and it's a good one. So Eric. Grab the NDA hat, send in a resume, and maybe we'll actually meet you someday. All right, let's go ahead and bring in our guest. Uh, looking forward to this conversation. Megan is the exact type of person I'd like to have on the show here, doing great work out there, and I, I think people should know about it. So let's go ahead and talk with Megan Pleet Postal. We're happy to have on the show with us today, Megan Fleet Postal. She is a journalist. She lives in the Adirondacks of New York. Beautiful place. Great place to live and work. She covers a wide range of interesting topics. She's an award winning writer. She recently won an award from the Outdoor Writers of America, which we'll get into that here in a little bit. She's also an author, has written a book. Southern Adirondack Foothills Fishing, Hunting and Trapping. That's pretty cool. And also, she's a hunter. And she's going to tell us a deer story so we're going to cover a lot of ground here with megan today megan thank you for being on and i always find that our guests do a better job of telling them telling us about themselves than i do so the floor is yours
2: thank you so much for having me on today i appreciate the opportunity um a little bit about me i am a hunter like you said in your introduction it's one of my big passions but beyond just being a hunter i'm an outdoors woman full circle. So I like to um, fish, hike, camp, kayak, um, pretty much anything outdoors um, with friends or with family or alone. I love it. And I'm also a journalist by trade and um, an author, like you said, and a mom. And um, I stay pretty busy.
0: Well, I'm sure you do with all those things you just listed there. Just being a mom alone keeps you pretty busy. And so uh, we appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us today. Um, so let's talk about Megan the Hunter. So how did you get into it and what aspects do you enjoy most? I, I did see on a post on your Instagram, you, you had a quote that said, I love hunting because it pushed me to trust myself. So tell us a little bit about your hunting background.
2: Yeah, sure. So my story starts a long time ago when I was a little girl. I came from a very outdoorsy family. My dad... My grandpa, my great grandpa, my aunts, uncles, all into hunting, all into all the outdoor stuff. So I started fishing with my dad at a very early age. He took me like right out of diapers and we'd always go fishing, just wherever, do anything. And the same with hunting. As soon as I was able, he would let me tag along with him. So I started out kind of learning the ropes and stuff and got my very first deer, which was a doe, when I was 17 years old. And that was great. Um, but then a couple of years after that, I ended up having a really traumatic injury. So I had to take a couple of years off and I couldn't um, shoot a gun because of my shoulder. So when I got back into hunting, it was kind of like being an adult onset hunter. It was like kind of starting all over again when I was like 25. And that time, instead of kind of following in my dad's footsteps, I thought I would take it in a different direction and kind of learn on my own, following my own instincts, building on the knowledge that he gave me. But it was important to me when I started again to do it my own way. And it was slow. It was a very slow progression. Um, It took me a couple of years to kind of get my bearings and shoot another deer, but I did. And then this past autumn, I got my very first archery book, which which was really, really special to me because it was completely on my own there wasn't anybody there to help me there wasn't anybody who i had ever bow hunted with before it was something that i had just i had done all me.
0: well since you brought up that deer i think we need to hear the deer story what do you think mike (laughs) i agree
2: (laughs) it's one of my favorites so um archery is new to me i picked it up last year And, um, we train all the time. We've got a little, um, range in our, our back property area that in the summertime, every evening we go out and we shoot our bows, make sure that we were on target, um, try to crank up the uh, pound a little bit so that we have good ethical kill skills. And the first year I went out archery hunting on my own, I didn't get anything. I saw a block and I took a shot, missed completely. And pretty much I was like, "Mm, I'm done. Like, this is not for me. This is just too complicated. I'm totally overwhelmed. I cannot do this. So I wallowed for about a day. And then after that, I got right back with my bow and I started practicing again, fine-tuning those skills, got where I needed to be. That season came and went. Then this previous season, 2021, I had like a fresh energy. I was like, okay, this is my year. I'm going to do it this time. So from opening day all the way up until October 9th, which is the day I took my book, I was in the blind every single day. And a lot of times I didn't see anything. And then other times I would see great potential books that were just way far out of range and there was just no chance. So that was super frustrating for me. And the day before I got my archery block, I actually was late to the uh, blind. I was running really late. I was really hectic, really stressed out. And where I um, was trying to quietly walk in, I spooked the box and I, he was gone. He never came back that evening. And I was like certain, like my season was over again. This is going to be my second season where I got nothing. And so I went to the, um, it was the morning hunt. It was the following morning. I got up early, went to the blind, got myself set up. Sunlight was just pressed. Thing. it was like looking good but I was pretty discouraged so I was kind of like in la la land not exactly like with it like tight and like observant but then out of the corner of my eye I saw like a flicker I'm like oh okay game on so it's a, it's a little buck and he's coming but he's not in range yet. and the sun is just in the shooting range like it's just there so I'm like okay I need to just chill out and not rush this shot so I'm like trying to like just breathe through this and time is passing so slowly I'm like come on finally he meandered his way towards me and he stopped he turned broadside and he put his head down to take a bite of the grass and it was like my opportunity like for some reason I knew like if I don't take this shot like he's gone so I felt shaky and like I drew up took the shot And he, I didn't hear anything. I was just like in that zone where like, all you can hear is like your blood rushing. So I didn't hear it connect, but I saw him jump and run. But for some reason, I'm like, you know, I think I missed him. I just, I was so discouraged. I was like, really upset. So I took a picture of where I thought I had shot him on my phone. So I had reference points and texted my husband. I said, you know, I think I just missed books um really discouraged I'm like no no no. chill out sit there for a few minutes breathe through it when you you know give it a little bit of time and then go check the blood so it did and um and uh, <laughs> so i did and um went checked my spot couldn't find blood at first i really was getting so discouraged at that point looked around looked around then I, I did a big white circle because I thought maybe I missed it, which is what I did. I ended up missing the blood at the first point. I couldn't find it. Finally found it. And when I found that blood, it was a big, huge puddle. I knew I had a good shot. I knew I had connected with him and he was probably down somewhere. So it was like everything changed in that instant. And I just had this like feeling like, oh my goodness, this is really happening. And, um. I tried to find him on my own and it's big wild wilderness in the Adirondacks. And I, I couldn't, he crossed a swamp so it was wet, and it was really hard to pick up his blood trail after that. So I called my husband in and, um, he came and he helped, he looked, helped, tried to help me find it, could not find it for the life of us. So then like an hour later, I'm like, okay, we need help. Called my dad in, called my brother and we've got like the whole crew and we are like <laughs> canvassing this area and i'm like in tears at this point because i know he's just gotta be down somewhere and i cannot find him so we did our big wide swath and as we're coming up like another hour later we are so discouraged we think for sure this deer is just gone we cannot find him and we're coming up the path we've got like a 100 yards to our truck and my husband he's got this like weird intuition he like just stopped dead in his tracks and he's like you know what stop we got to check over here. I don't know why. We just got to check. So I go, okay, whatever. And I'm like, we're done. Like, I'm done. I'm just the worst hunter ever. This is it for me. And so he goes and he checks and he finds his deer down. And it was just the craziest thing because he didn't go as far as we thought he went. We just could not find it. So he's like, it's a block, it's a block. Like, he's here. And I'm like, wow. And I'm like, so excited. I'm like, running. And we find him. And it's all, it's wonderful because as it turned out, the whole family ended up there because I needed help. They were all there to share that with me. And it was just such a special, um, October 9th by coincidence is my dad's birthday. So it was just a really special day. Very cool. and I yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't Mike, wait to do it again next year.
0: Yeah. You can see the excitement, you know, and Megan and she's telling the story. <laughs> and I feel like when she was telling the story, she experienced like almost a whole lifetime's worth of archery hunting in one hunt. I mean, what did you, what did you think about that? Well,
1: what I'm, what I'm listening to is the, the progression, you know, in regards to all the stuff that takes me back to when I first started bow hunting, when she said that, you know, she never heard the shot, you know, all she could hear was her blood rushing in her ears. Whereas now, you know, I've kind of squelched a lot of that so I can stay a lot more in, in control and a lot of that magic and that adrenaline is lost in me. And so to be able to hear someone's story and bring that all back of what it actually is like is uh, is pretty exciting, pretty fun to hear.
0: Yeah, and so folks can't see this, but you know, Megan's beaming there with a big smile. And, and as you should, congratulations. I mean, really... As a very novice archery hunter, you went out and you just got it done yourself. And I think the really cool part of that, too, is how everybody got to share in that excitement with you. So I'm sure that's something you'll never forget. Certainly.
2: It was a really special day.
0: So let's go ahead. Now that we know that you're an accomplished hunter, you've checked some boxes there. Um, Let's talk about your unique career paths. You've done some interesting things and then eventually found your way into being a journalist. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, so I I do have a very interesting career. I've done many different things. I've um, kind of dabbled in all kinds of different um, industries trying to find my bearings, what I wanted to do with myself. I was um, a nurse's aide at one point. I worked at Napa Auto Parts for many years, which was an amazing, fun job. Um, I was an executive director of a nonprofit, which was a wonderful, wonderful thing, but nothing felt quite exactly like me. So when I went back to college, I knew that I always knew I wanted to do something with communications, wanted to write. I thought maybe i would be an English teacher. Um, But in the city of New York, you have to have a master's for that. And once I got back to college, I was like, you know what? A backwards is okay with me. So I switched gears and I was like, journalism, I'm going to try journalism. That's writing, it'll work out. So I got my um, bachelor's in public relations and journalism. And then right out of college, I did an internship with our local newspaper. And that worked out well for me. So I became a newspaper journalist, started with local news, um, loved it, still dabble in it. It's it's an amazing, it's a, it's a boots on the ground role where you get to interact with real people and tell their stories in a very organic way. And I, I love it. So, but I didn't want to be exclusively local news. I, I had an interest in the outdoors. And I think sometimes as you get older, you want to do things that make you happy. So I started dabbling in some outdoor writing and I actually, my very first clips in outdoor writing happened because of the local newspaper because they let me do um, a column called Central New York Outdoors. So I started to interact with people like um, my local fish and game clubs or the um, DEC, the Department of Environmental Conservation and my state and make these connections. And then I was realizing that a lot of stories they just go beyond my local region and they're worth telling stuff. So once they had a couple of clips in outdoor writing, I was approaching bigger publications saying, hey, you know, like I can do this. I have these really cool connections that have stories that are untold. Are you interested in knowing them? So people took a couple on um, publications, took some chances on me, and it worked out great. It was an absolutely wonderful thing. Um, and so then I started accumulating all these clips. And when yeah. I say clips, That's jargon it's um just articles just written published work based on like whatever industry you're working on which is for me the outdoors and once I got established a little bit it was like the snowball like this ball just started rolling and I wasn't reaching out anymore publications were reaching out to me saying hey do you want to write for us and that's yes I learned early on that if you want to do this in a specialized industry, like the outdoors, like in conservation, some just say yes. Like, if you're really new, which I was at one point, that might mean, you know, writing for really small bits of money or writing for exposure, but that's okay. You build on it. And I never, I never said no, but I, then I learned eventually like, okay, it has to go somewhere. So now I'm in a place where I'm running for several publications and some national, some local still, because I love it. And basically, I just started where I was with what I had and just kept going. And it worked for me.
0: I think that's great advice for people who are interested in writing to say, just go for it. I mean, people need that push a lot of times and uh and i think that's that's very good advice and you you started to mention that you you write for a lot of different publications just run down a few of them
2: sure so i'm currently i work for, or i write for wide open spaces which is a a news um an outdoor website all outdoor which is a similar thing uh northern logger which covers more the logging industry but there's a lot of overlap between the two meat eater um Adirondack Explorer, which is kind of regional to the Adirondack Mountains, harvesting nature. Um, ah, there's more, but I'm like drawing a blank.
0: So basically, you, you write, and you write for some that are pretty consistent. I know you've written a lot for wide open spaces and all outdoor, but other things come up in other assignments and those types of things. So it's pretty broad.
2: That's 100 true. There's a lot of poor clients that I work with. Over the long term, but there's one-offs too. Where there'll be one story that works really well for one publication, and it'll it'll run for them, and that's kind of the end of that. Um, so yeah, I do a variety of work.
1: So Megan, when you approach a story, when you're given an assignment, if you will, do you have a system, or do you kind of uh, come into it with more of an open mind? I mean, how does how does your workflow? juices kind of lead you to from the initial assignment to the final product?
2: A lot of times, what I perceive the final product will be, is not always what the final product is. So sometimes I will have a, a person or a source that I will be interviewing, and I, I will think the conversation might flow a certain way based on what I've seen of their content in the public sphere. But Um, if it goes in a certain direction, say I ask a question, and the answer is not what I expect it to, we'll dig further into that, because I don't ever want to stifle a story based on my own preconceived notions. I love it when I get thrown for a loop. I love it when something fresh comes out that nobody else has written about, even if it's a very public person, because that's great. That's, that's a gem. That's good content. Um, so I don't ever, um, box my story then prior to them being written, I love open-ended, an open-ended approach.
0: I think that's one of the things that makes your writing so good as I was looking down, uh, well, I think it's two things. The first one is you told your dear story, you really pull in a lot of little details there. And um, I think that obviously makes a story better. Uh, And so I can just tell from your storytelling as you're telling the story why you write well. But I think the other thing too is and it's the answer that you just gave, Mike. There, you seem to cover a lot of interesting topics and interesting people, and from sort of different perspectives than what are that you see all the time. It's not just sort of the standard stuff. So, where do you get your inspiration to do that? Um, and also, do you care to list any favorite stories that you've written that maybe when you started them, you you didn't think they would they would be as exciting as they turned out to be? Well, so for
2: the first question. Um, as far as like my approach and like why the stories sound different. I have a, a general rule not to ask the source anything that I can just Google and find out because who would want to read that if you're just, you know, filling old content, making it into a new article that's not that interesting. So I will Google everybody that I'm going to interview prior to that and then um, come up with questions that go beyond that. I want to know about like, not just, you know, A, B, and C that you might see on their Instagram profile, I want to know why. Or I want to know, like, what led to that? Or why is this person the way they are? A lot of people's um, public personas have themes. And sometimes those themes aren't explored deeply. And I like to know the why. It's it's really interesting to find the humanity behind the page. And that's what um, inspires the questions the unique questions that i ask and the unique answers that i get and then for the second portion of that question favorites is a really really difficult um thing to answer but my favorite stories generally um tend to be about either people who don't have a huge following but do a lot of really valuable work perhaps they're a leader in um conservation or they're a leader in um, organizing events to help women mm-hmm. learn new skills in the outdoors or um, things like that. I love underdog stories. I love I love just seeing different people find spotlights because everybody has a story. Every single person walking down the street has a story. It's just knowing how to dig and get it.
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's And that's part of what we try to do on the Coffee and Deer Show is bring people like yourself on. You have a a really cool story that people need to hear about. In the meantime, you're writing a bunch of stories about everybody else's stories. And so uh, we're hoping to drive some people to see your work because it's really good. And speaking of being really good, you just recently won an award. And so I want to talk about the article. The article is titled Hunters of Color Collabs to Produce Deer Hunt for New Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. And the National Deer Association is as mentioned. We were part of that project, and so obviously that also caught our attention. So, tell us first of all what the award was that you won, and then um, you know, tell us tell us a little bit about the story and how it evolved.
2: Absolutely. So, the award that I won for that article that you mentioned was first place in the category of hunting and shooting sports. Um, articles so that was a really I was super excited to know that I had even placed at all but to know that it was first place was above and beyond any expectations the article was a very very special article and I was really glad that it got recognized not for my writing but just for the importance of the event that took place because I think the reason that that article won first place was because it captured the deep significance that this event, it was a crossbow hunt um, organized by at the NDA, like you said, Hunters of Color, um, the Nature Conservancy and Backcountry Hunters and Anglers had organized a white-tailed deer crossbow hunt for new Black, Indigenous people of color hunters who had never had or had very little opportunity to experience something like that before. And the interviews I did and the posts that were captured, these people were so so deeply affected by this experience the bonds that came out of it the kinship the fellowship just the um the deep sense of community that came from this event i think shown through in that article
0: i gotta ask you is that your dog that's trying to get on the podcast
2: yes i'm sorry <laughs> you want me to go do this? i have hounds um We come from a family of rabbit hunters because we have winter up here and the beagle hounds are really good for uh, rabbit hunting and they love it. So, yeah, see, beagles are very loud, very nosy.
0: I was going to say it sounded like hounds I I was a person that's owned hounds (laughs) throughout my life. And so that's why I wanted to ask you about it. And the doctor (laughs) there, he's a big dog person. I don't know. I don't want to turn this into the dog show because... Inevitably someone brings up dogs and, and this time it's my fault and then we get into dog discussions. So Mike, I'm really setting you up here because we've got another New Yorker, which is a you know a kindred spirit for you and a person that has hunting dogs. So I mean just let's
1: just go ahead and get it out of the way. Well, I just think in, in general Oh God, let's, let's try. Okay. How might, how can I get this in, but get out very, very quickly, but, but dogs are a very important part of our lives and in that outdoor lifestyle, even as, you know, Megan was saying, she likes to try and do things on her own, but bringing a dog along as a companion, I think adds to that. So there's a lot of things in the outdoor world that, that dogs can actually enhance, whether it be people that like to shed hunt, they can do that with their dog. People that like to, um, bird hunt, rabbit hunt, et cetera, waterfowl hunt. I mean, it's just dogs have become our, our hunting companions. And truthfully, I think we are, we're the beneficiaries of that. So I'll just, there's my, my little soapbox. I'm stepping off now and we can move on.
2: That one that you heard, that's Merle, is named after Merle Haggard. He's our 10-year-old king of our past. And real quickly, we've got um, five of them. I'll share their names. We've got Merle, Lady, Mabel, Judge, and Jack, and they're all rabbit hunters.
0: Well, you're really into rabbit hunting if you have five beagles, so that's pretty cool. (laughs) And it's funny, too, that as as an avid hunter, right, a a hunter with dogs, and you have multiples, you know that that's Merle. You know that's his bark, right? That's pretty cool. (laughs)
2: Yeah, we love them, and you get to know them.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things that the person that doesn't hunt with dogs in that way would never understand, I don't think, so um so tell us what was it like to to win the award like you you hear your name called and next thing you know you're getting award i mean that had to be pretty cool
2: It, it was an amazing experience um i am forever grateful for that um i wasn't able to attend in person so it was um actually a phone call but it was such a good it was actually a huge surprise i didn't i threw my name in the hat and the article out and said, yeah, we'll see, whatever. And I never expected to win it. And I was so, so excited, like giddy, like just silly giddy, like jumping around. It was just a really exciting thing for me. Um, ran to the next room tell my husband and it just, it's really exciting when um, you put your heart into something and then somebody else can see that or feel that.
1: So looking back on, we kind of touched on your career path. That's gotten you here. And I'm sure that, you know, you will have other pinnacles of your career, but, but looking back, I I mean, there has to be some sense of this, this is where I should be. This is, I've made the right choices in life. You kind of talked about how you got your first buck on your dad's birthday. Talk about, you know, where you are right now. And are you comfortable with where you're at and what is your goals for the future?
2: Absolutely. So yes, yeah, I what I do with the the writing and communications in the outdoor industry just it feels very right for me and it brings together a lot of passion and skill and I'm like I said I I knew I wanted to do something with writing and I never really knew what that was until I started doing outdoor writing and then it was just this magical with thing where everything that I am kind of came together and it made sense so I am so happy to be where I am and I hope to be able to do this for a very very long time I'm I love this industry I love the people in it I love the 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 way it's evolving and it's becoming so much more inclusive and our deep history our traditions and also that it's so receptive sometimes to change that it's a wonderful, wonderful industry to be in and I'm grateful for it.
1: So where do you see yourself in five years and 10 years?
2: I would be totally completely happy to still be um, writing for in doing outdoor writing, hopefully with um, the same, many of the same clients because they're wonderful to me and more clients, um, but I'm in a good place. And I hope to kind of, Ride
1: this wave as long as it'll have me. All right. So, so I'm still going to push you again. Here's, <laughs> here's me pushing you because I, I do this from the medical side. And if I don't get the answer, I'm looking for it to keep going. Um, so I, I want a goal out of you. Like what is, I mean, everyone, everyone that's driven that I know has goals. They set goals for themselves. Okay. And, and it seems like you're trying to dance around what your goals are. So I'm going to push you a little harder. <laughs> and I want to hear at least one of your one of your goals for writing or your future in writing.
2: Well, beyond writing and just for the outdoors in general, um, I recently became an Artemis sportswoman um, Ambassador. And part of that role is organizing events for women to learn outdoor skills and serving as an advocate for women in the outdoors who want to learn these skills. And if I had to have a long-term goal, which I do, I would love to work more in helping women get a footing in this industry. And even just if they don't have to work in the industry, but if they want to learn to hunt, they want to learn to fish, they want to learn to be self sufficient in the outdoors. I would love to be a vessel of um, learning and helping women find the confidence that they may need to do these things on their own. There's a lot of things that um, maybe men that are, very experienced in the outdoors don't necessarily consider to be a barrier, such as something that comes to my mind right now is, um, backing a boat trailer into the water. A lot of women don't have that skill and that's something that may hold them back from doing that independently. So if I could dig more into my work, organizing events to facilitate learning for women, that is what it would be.
1: There you go. Now that's, that's the answer that makes me happy.
0: I was going to say, if you spend any time around a boat launch, you'll see that men also do not have that skill.
2: So, <laughs> that is often <laughs> <it's> true. true. <laughs>
0: if you ever want free entertainment someday and you're bored, <laughs> just go to your nearest boat launch and you'll see all kinds of crazy stuff there. So yeah. <laughs> um, these are some of the titles of, the, of some of the stuff you've written recently. And, and we'll tell people where to go find this. But I think it's interesting and it really aligns with what you just said your goals are. So Her Humble Hunt, a question and answer with Bianca Jane Burnett the non-typical outdoorsman with Eric Morris, interview with Melissa Bachman of Winchester Deadly Passion, eight mamas making a positive change in the outdoors. That is really cool. Uh, New York uh, State Outdoorsman Hall of Fame to honor six inductees, some more of a news story. Uh, just some really cool stuff. Turkey hunting tips and gear for women, just getting started is awesome. Uh, and then of course they've written about Hunters of Color a couple times and a number of things here. So. Uh, I'm finding this all on your Linktree and Instagram. So where can people find you, Megan?
2: Actually, those are the best places to find me. Um, Instagram is wonderful. I love to connect on Instagram. I'm at at Megan Fleet Postal. That's M-E-G-A-N-P-L-E-T-E-P-O-S-T-O-L. And then I'm on LinkedIn. And a lot of my favorite work is on the Linktree, like you had mentioned.
0: Yep. So for those of you who don't know what the link tree is, if you go to Megan's Instagram profile uh, in her bio, there will be a link there. So go to her profile and her bio and you click that link and it takes you to the link tree with all the cool stories. And we'll provide this with the the show notes here so that you can also just click on that also from our website. So Megan, thank you so much for taking the time out to be with us here today. Uh, It was wonderful talking to you. We loved hearing your stories. Keep up the great writing. Uh, I'm very impressed with your work and and read through several of your articles, and so thank you again.
2: Thank you so much. It means a lot. I really appreciated it today.
0: Mike, I really enjoy meeting people like Megan. She's obviously very passionate about what she does. Uh, Her her dear story, I mean, people can't see her like we can in the interview. She just had so much excitement and this big smile, and, and she did such a great job of telling that story um that was a lot of fun and not only that i mean she's a very talented writer and she covers things as we talked about in the interview kind of from these unique angles and it's not your traditional outdoor writing as you may know it so i i I really enjoyed talking with her
1: yeah i think when you can get somebody that puts a refreshing spin on a topic or uh just a viewpoint and being an outdoors person is refreshing, especially when we get up to, I'm just going to say my age because I'm older than you. And we take so much of this for granted a bit, but to be able to see it through a, a different set of eyes that has a lot of uh, energy and newness, it helps us remember why we do this and what we enjoy about it. And it, it kind of brings you back. So I, I do like that about what she's doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So be sure to check her out, check out her Instagram and go to that link tree that we talked about. And you can also find that here in the show notes as well and and read through some of her work. Mike, I actually at this point, I think it's necessary. I just put a new category in the show called the B Team Report. And at some point, yeah, yeah, we're going to do the B Team Report. And I might. This is the initial one, so I'm a little unprepared. But I think I'm going to have to find an audio clip or something to, you know, sort of kick off that segment of the show. But with the B Team Report, uh, we got a couple things, and I think they're both coming from you. And the first one, yes, I'm going <laughs> to kick this first one off for you because uh, it's current, and we didn't talk about this ahead of time. But uh, you might have noticed the doctor's audio is not as it normally is. Well. He's coming to us from his little slice of heaven in New York and has failed to take, failed to remember the proper technology. So I'll let you take it from there, Mike.
1: Well, as as you well know, we we recorded with Megan and we didn't have time to record our intro and extra. And so therefore, we decided to record it at a later date. And my life got really busy as yours was that day. Thus, we couldn't do the intro and extra. And I was an hour into my travels up here this morning or yet last night at, I think it was 830 when I was on the road and, you know, an hour away from home. And I remembered my microphone, remembered my computer, remembered my charger for my computer. And I forgot my Wi-Fi hotspot. And therefore the only way that I could record is on my phone. And so we've had a whole Catastrophe this morning of trying to learn how to set up a Wi-Fi hotspot for my phone so I could go around my computer and have my good audio, and I couldn't figure out how to do that. Following setting up a Verizon account, etc., and so on, and so therefore we are subpar audio, and that's my first B-team moment for the week, but it was
0: not my last. Well, let me respond to that one real quick before you give us the other one, but i'm I'm actually partially to blame for this because we were there yesterday uh, and had all of our gear and able to record, but I had something I had to get to and so and I'm glad that I did that because we if I wouldn't have gone I wouldn't would have run out of time taking care of what I needed to take care of. but anyway, and then on top of that, uh, where were you last uh, evening, Mike that also uh, put a, a dent in your schedule?
1: Well, we had our west Central, Chap, branch chapter meeting. And um, our president had befallen in a very unfortunate event. And I can't, you know, express what that is, but he is doing very well. So uh, Mike, you know, speedy recovery to you. And so I had to run our meeting and you were at a very important baseball game for your team, you coach, and you had a very important obligation. And so therefore it kind of fell on my shoulders to make sure I was at that meeting to be able to run it. And then I had to leave for New York and I came crawling in here, I think at like 1230, 1245 last night, something like that.
0: All right. So I get a B team assist because I'm part of the reason that your schedule was hectic and it puts you in, in that mode where it's easy to forget stuff. So anyway, my apologies, but I will take an, an, an assist there. And I'll go ahead and jump to your next one.
1: So my next one is I needed to get my fields sprayed and get them ready for planting, uh, So, I get everything loaded up, get everything packed up, ready to go. And I was gonna be spraying for my four wheeler. Starts up like a dream because I keep it on a trickle charger. I pull out, head into my first field. And as soon as I let off the throttle, it stalls. And I just can't get it started again. Just can't get it started. So, time is when I'm up here, time is always of the essence. I said, I don't have time to fool around with this. So, I run back up to the barn. Grab my four-gallon backpack sprayer. I start to try and attempt because I already mixed all of my herbicide. So I try and fill my four-gallon sprayer from my twenty-five-gallon sprayer off the back of the four-wheeler, making a mess. I mean, I'm probably gonna. I mean, I'm not making light of this, but I mean, you know, they talk about all the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma from herbicides, and I've never had a a, like a high exposure until just the last Saturday. So, um, you know, good, you know, good on me for being a fool, but. so I go ahead and I, I go and I spray that one field with the four gallon sprayer, just repeated filling. I finally get it done. I said, okay, I got to get, try and get this thing moving because I can't just leave it out here in the middle of nowhere where I, where I live four hours away. And I mean, not that it would start, but who knows, Someone could come and tow it away or push it out or tip it over. Who knows? So I work on it, work on it. It it's, turns over several times, but it won't run as soon as I give it throttle it cuts out keep working on it. I finally, long story short, I finally get it to run. And I said, I'm going to start it in high gear. And as soon as it starts, I'm going to mash on that throttle and never let up on it until I get back to the barn. And it works. I mean, I came up over the hill at at one time I was on three wheels, sometimes two wheels. I'm just (laughs) giving her all that she's got. And I come and as soon as I get right in front of the barn, uh, I let off the throttle, she stalls again. So I researched that and technically it's either, it's most likely a fuel injector that has become clogged and so I need to get that to the shop and get that repaired and uh, changed out. But I have to fill up my backpack sprayer and go out down to my next field now, which was a lot further away. And so I hauled down over there. And because I was expecting to be spreading from the four-wheeler, I'm on foot now with sneakers on, long pants, and I, I still had a face mask on and gloves, but um, I'm walking backwards. I don't have to walk through you know, uh, on the fronts of my legs where I've sprayed. And the one thing that I've done over the years is uh, my daughter and I, we competitively shot pistol and three gun. And one of the things that you're taught to maintain stability, especially over uneven ground, when you're trying to keep your mind focused on the target and your sight picture, is when you're walking forward, you flex your hips, you flex your knees, you kind of crouch down just a little bit, and then you walk very slowly, heel to toe and that keeps your head from bouncing up and down too much and when you're shooting and walking backwards it's the same thing crouch position but it's toe to heel and it prevents you from tripping and falling over backwards when you have a loaded firearm so I'm actually using that technique I'm walking backward toe to heel and spraying out you know behind me technically it's in the front of my body but in behind the direction I'm walking so I'm walking backwards through my fields and I'm walking along and my fields are pretty well kept and I get to this point where I plant the, my right ball, my foot down, I start to lower my heel and I feel what almost feels like a softball under my heel. And I, the first thing I think is that's odd. There should be nothing this big in this field. I, I should have broken up all the clumps and there's no rocks that big. And just as I start to put more weight down, my foot you know, gently slides off the side of it. And all I hear is <laughs> and, and I feel something hit me behind the knee. I jump. Um, I actually, you know, released an, uh, some blue language because it startled me. And here's a fawn that jumps up about two yards away from me and looks right at me. And so that I immediately start talking to it like it's my dog. I'm like, oh, my gosh, are you OK? I didn't mean to step on you. I'm talking to a fawn. It's looking at me like I'm, I'm totally mental. And it walks off down into the woods and, uh, you know, it goes about its business. I think none the worse for the wear, other than just being startled. But I think I got more of a start than it did. So there's my B-team moment for the week. That's my second, I should say, B-team moment for the week. So I'm, I'm claiming captain status for the week.
0: Well, the cool thing is you did end up coming across a fawn, which is pretty neat. And, uh, you know, that fawn might as well get used to seeing that B-team activity with that being your place. So, um, you know, I thought of one as you were talking about spraying. I was thinking about the the near-miss B-team moment we had uh, the doctor and I went out to my place last weekend, and I bought a new sprayer for the back of uh, the back of my ATV, and it, we were setting it all up. Got just got the sprayer all filled, and we're we're ready to go start spraying. And I think the comment that the doctor made was something like, "Well, let's go make it happen." And I said, "Well, we're going to make something happen. I'm not sure if it's going to be good or bad." And then I proceed to for whatever reason, basically just drive right into the ditch and darn near break the arm off my brand new sprayer. So uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was, uh, that would have been the ultimate of BT moments there, doctor, if I would have done that before, before it even made its maiden voyage to bust off one of the arms of that boom. Or bend
1: one. Yeah. Break a nozzle. I mean, holy smokes.
0: Yep. So there you have it. We are that's already three things in this new b team section so the b team report (sighs) speaking of which i just mentioned that habitat work what uh, i had planted buckwheat i think i may have mentioned this on the show a while back and it started to germinate as the doctor and i saw when we were there last weekend and we've since had all it really needed was some rain to take off and now mike we've had two really good soaking rain since then. So I'm anxious to get back up there and see if that buckwheat has really taken off, but it looked like it was ready to, to take.
1: It did. I just think it, you were right. All we needed was a little bit, of, little bit more moisture than we had had. And I think you're going to be looking at a really good stand of buckwheat here shortly.
0: Yeah, I hope so. And then my goal is, and I think I've mentioned is to Actually, let that get up to seed and then just till it right back into the soil to try to build that soil up a little bit before I plant for the fall. Um, And then uh, also, now that I've dried out those couple lower fields that had the water issue, uh, the doctor and I were out there uh, cutting those fields and spraying them. And so now that's been a week ago, and I'm anxious to see this weekend if that has indeed killed everything. So, uh, and I've got my fall food plot seed already ordered. So I'm looking forward to uh, really getting some of that stuff in the ground here, but before too long, really, because we're already in, believe it or not, the middle of June.
1: Right. Right. And so, I mean, that's what I'm doing this, this weekend. I'm actually getting my soybeans and I was you know, prepping last weekend and burning everything down with herbicide. And now I'm going to actually uh, plant and cult a pack and I should be ready to go. And all I need, all I need is a little bit more rain.
0: I don't know if you've noticed this, doctor, but I'm starting to see people sending putting trail camera pictures out and about as well. Have you seen that yet?
1: Yeah, uh, showing a lot of uh, fawns. Uh, I just saw my first one today of a of a buck. So the first buck picture for the season was today.
0: Yeah, it just goes to show you how quickly it jumps up on you. I we've talked about this in the past on the show. I'm more of an early. Early to mid-July person with my trail cameras. Traditionally, the last several years I've kind of I've put them out around July 4th weekend. Um, you were a little bit later last year, weren't you,
1: Doctor? I'm I'm historically late. I've tried the year before I tried early, like you, just because we we hunted similar properties, and I wanted to try and at least keep up with you because I didn't want you supplying data and me kind of you know tailing along on your coattail. So I wanted to step up and participate 50-50. But last year I did not, I just want, I, we talked about this and you've heard on the podcast that I'm just going back to what I, what I'm really, really good at, and that's rut hunting. And I'll get my cameras out for me, um, late August, you know, before that, like a month before the season. And, um, that's always worked really well for me because what that does is then I'll need to look at battery replacement sometime right about, is it starting to kick off that third week of October? And then I let them run through the rest of the year. So um, I'm going to go back to doing doing what I do well and um, getting my cameras in locations in those transition zones and record the data historically for previous seasons because that's when my brain works and I can keep it clear and I pick good spots because of it.
0: Well, I probably should be adopting your approach only because, I mean, I love getting trail camera photos I could leave them out all year because you get pictures of so much cool stuff but this time of year in particular there are so many challenges with namely one of the first ones that comes to mind is vegetation you can trim and clean and all that stuff but then inevitably you're going to get more vegetation in front of your camera wind blowing uh, tree limbs in front of it that type of thing Uh, and then it's also not a lot of fun to check them when it's almost 90 degrees so uh, but anyway, yeah, I just I bring that up to say this is right around the corner and um, you know, and another thing, we're trapping a bear. I don't believe I mentioned this on the last show, but working with the Pennsylvania Game Commission, they have to trap to trap so many bears to process for information, check their health and whatnot, and tag them and we're doing one of those on my place. But in the meantime, doctor, this is breaking news. Uh, my dad has had a bear at his place visiting and has ripped down their bird feeders and also now has broken into they have a koi pond has broken into the feed box for that and so now our local game warden just yesterday dropped off a bear trap there so lots of bear trapping going on a lot of bear nuisance complaints
1: yeah we have a lot of them in pennsylvania
0: yes we do and they show themselves this time of year all right well we've covered a lot in this show folks hope you enjoyed it Uh, Maybe now you'll be looking forward to the next episode of the B-Team Report. (laughs) Uh, and and Inevitably, there will be information for that. If nothing else, it'll make you feel better that, you know what, uh, nobody out there is perfect. It's a challenge for everybody and especially the doctor and I. So, With that, folks, thank you again for listening. Thank you for your support. We are still running, by the way, the promo code. If you have not joined yet or if you know someone that might want to join, have them use the promo code podcast. And they'll get $5 off an NDA membership. And we just had a discussion about this as a team, whether or not to keep that going or not, because we've been running that for more than a year, and we decided that we would. So before we change our minds, jump in there and take advantage and save yourself five bucks. Thanks again for listening, folks. Good luck out there with whatever it is you're doing. Be safe. National Deer Association, where we are united for deer.